I'm Jason Klom, and this is Comedy on Vinyl. The year is 1960, the album The Wonderful World of Jonathan Winters. The artist, of course, Jonathan Winters, and my guest this week, Merle Kessler. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Uh, I'm delighted to have you. For those who do not know you, they may know you as Ian Scholes. They may know you as a member of the Duck's Breath Mystery Theater. Um, you've done a lot of stuff. But um, why don't you tell me, first of all, how long you have known this record? Is this something that was in your house growing up? Did you discover it later in life? Well, no, my parents joined the Columbia Record Club. Yes, okay. Which is still around, I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, they let me, as I recall, pick pretty much all the records. Mm-hmm. You know? And that was in the uh, uh, the pile, I guess, uh, that I picked, along with, you know, uh, uh, Marty Robbins, Gunfighter Ballads. And, wow. Uh, yes, yeah, a bunch of good stuff. Was um, this the first comedy record then that you picked out of all of them? First, yeah, I think I was going to I would say Smothers Brothers. No, I got Kingston Trio. Oh, okay. Which had some comedy on it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I think it was actually the only comedy record in, in, the, in the, the batch. The rest were like, you know, folk songs. Fronty and Teicher, I think, was in there, too. And, wow, uh, that is not what I know of. They're, they're a, uh, they did Exodus. Or, da, da, bum, bum. They were, oh, you know, bombastic okay. piano players. And, uh, uh, oh, what else? Uh, uh, Johnny Horton. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, Battle of New Orleans and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, but I think that was the only comedy record in the uh, in the batch. I love it. I love it. There's, this is, I mean, I, we've talked briefly, you know, whenever we talk about an album, half the time it is briefly because we end up getting into other stuff. We have talked about this record, I think, once before, maybe with Rick Overton. I don't know how much detail we actually got into, uh, but if anybody doesn't know, Jonathan Winters was famous for being an improviser. He obviously has some prepared bits, but he also... Insanely off the cuff. Uh, nobody was really doing that uh, as a standalone act anyway. Even Nichols and May had written stuff based off of their own improv. Uh, some of this is completely, like, he does take a suggestion from the audience. It's even that level of improv at some point. What was cool about him is, is he, his material was not, uh, you know, um, you know, I'm, you know, I'm trying to, like, Nichols and May was all, like, uh, uh realism kind of you know what i mean it's like sure. a life in new york and you know that kind of thing whereas his, his stuff is just like you know robin hood and you know mm-hmm. world war Two and you mm-hmm. know, it's much it, more it, of a it, sketch album in in a way well yeah and, and also he had he was he uh went out there as they say you know mm-hmm. and he's pretty uh he does it in this in his typical kind of burying it kind of nervous way but he does and I don't know that the audience takes him seriously the way he talks about being institutionalized and that's a quite like I think at this point well-known actual part of his history as a person at the time I, re- I recall that they because I was a huge fan of his just from seeing him briefly on you know whatever he'd be on TV you know mm-hmm. uh, and it was big news it was in like uh, Time magazine you mm-hmm. know it was and it was in San Francisco too as, as I recall he uh, oh, okay. uh, yeah yeah he he, he uh, it was after a gig. he would, was at the, uh, you know, Purple Onion or whatever, you know, <laughs> he was doing a show and then he just had a total breakdown. He went down to uh, um, Fisherman's Wharf and he climbed aboard a ship and he went, as I recall, and he climbed up on top of uh, like the crow's nest mm-hmm. and, and, you know, had to be talked down and then he was, you know, institutionalized for, you know, a month or so. Yeah. So yeah, like a total like breakdown, total nervous breakdown. It was, uh, and it was, it was, you know, on national news. It was in Time Magazine, so it, it, it was. I, I was aware of it, and I was like, you know, what, eleven, twelve years old, you know. What had you? Uh, what kind of stuff had you seen him on? Uh, what, what shows were you allowed to watch? Like, I'm not sure how late. Uh, I'm not sure if he was he on stuff other than like late late night. He must have been done Sullivan. Oh uh, yeah, stuff, I wouldn't but... watch the late late shows. So he, I think he must have been. Uh... I was thinking because I don't know if I got. See, I grew up in North Dakota, mm-hmm. so we only had one station. <laughs> Goodness, and, we, and and they sort of swapped off. Like half of it was NBC, half of it was ABC. Uh, so I don't, I didn't get Ed Sullivan, which I think was on CBS. Okay, so it must have been like you know one of those variety shows that they're all over, you know. Yeah, um, but I'm not, I did see him. He was on TV quite frequently, as I recall, because he was you know a very entertaining guest. Yeah. 
were you a kid who was hunting out comedy or did you know that comedy albums existed? Because some people do have that moment where they kind of discover, oh, I can have something to keep for myself. Uh, I, well, I didn't know anything. You know, we didn't, like I said, I grew up in North Dakota. Didn't, there was not much of a media thing going on there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so I think like bits on the radio and that sort of thing, I, wasn't, I think when we got the Columbia Record uh, Club catalog, uh, you know, I was excited. So, oh, you could see, I could get this guy, I can get this, you know, these, uh, a song I heard once on the radio, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, of <laughs> um, and that's, that's sort of what, what, what it was. It wasn't, um, I wasn't aware that there were comedy records. Of course, after that, uh, there was kind of an explosion with, uh, uh, you know, Bob Newhart and, uh, mm-hmm. and all, and all that stuff, you know, but I wasn't really aware of it, uh, at the time. It wasn't until he, I moved away from North Dakota to the great media center of Brainerd, Minnesota, where I, you know, learned of uh, learned of the existence of a wider world of, of media and comedy. More than one channel, et cetera. More than one channel, yes. And also, you know, I, I wound up getting like Bill Cosby records and Smothers Brothers, whom I adored. Of course, yes. I still think they're funny, you know. Oh, they're brilliant. Bill Cosby, not so much, but... Uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Smothers Brothers were... were uh, well, there he becomes cloying after a while, you know. Also true. Also true. But uh, uh, but the Smothers Brothers are they're still really hilarious, I think. I had a guest on a couple of weeks ago who I, I didn't realize when we got into it, I didn't realize, realize why he picked the Smothers Brothers at the Purple Onion, but it's because he had gotten to open for them right in their last year of performing. And I was like, oh, oh. so jealous. And he's like, yeah, they were still on top of their game. I'm like, I'm not surprised. I saw them in 2003. They were just doing great, like, anti-Bush jokes and then, you know, playing with the yo-yo 10 minutes later. It was fantastic. It was so, so good. What about Jonathan Winters appealed to you? I mean, I think I know, like, it's probably, you know, appropriately the same kind of thing that appealed to me about Robin Williams as I was a kid, when I was a kid, just a sort of frantic energy and like, oh my God, I wish I could be that funny. I wish I had that kind of energy. Well, see, it, 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 it came in with like my, my own personal, like, was, uh, I felt kind of out of it because I, you know, I was in, I was a sensitive lad mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in, uh, uh, in North Dakota and, uh, uh, so you, you you found things that seem to reflect uh, kind of an outsider kind of sensibility. Like uh, I also f- at the same time I think I've discovered uh, Mad Magazine, like the old ma- you know like the oh, old sure. magazine that Harvey Kurtzman did mm-hmm. with you know uh, Will Elder and you know just these great dense storylines you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and there's the same kind of spirit there I think too of like uh, well let's just throw it in there you know. If we can do it, then we should do it. You know, mm-hmm. kind of a uh, kind of kind of attitude that, that really appealed to me. It, it's sort of I, the thing about Mad Magazine that I mean, it definitely. If you're a kid with the kind of energy who wants to keep creating or is always thinking about fun ideas or is just kind of all over the place, something like Mad Magazine is a place that weirdly brings all those interests into one place and and uh, synthesizes them in a way. Where it's like, oh, this might be me. This might be my personality put on paper. Yes, and also these were like anthologies, so this is like a dead mm, thing. Sure, really, yeah, yeah. The, that I was getting, they're like little paperbacks of, you know, this mad magazine that didn't exist anymore. I mean, yeah. I still enjoyed the mad magazine that was out there. I used to read that too, but it wasn't, mm. wasn't the same magazine at all. I mean, these early mad magazines were just really out there, you know. Right. So that appealed to me. And also at this around the same time, uh, my parents got into, got, joined a book club. Mm-hmm. And they got this book. Uh, one of the books they got was uh, the most of S.J. Perelman, mm-hmm. and he was a, a comedy writer, not as well known, I guess, as James Thurber and these other guys. But he was he used to write for Marx Brothers, and you know, mm-hmm. okay. And that also like had a huge influence on me because this book, these things are just amazing. He's had the same kind of manic energy, only it was literary and controlled. You know, he he would he has this. Uh, yeah. Anyway, it was the same same sort of thing that really really appealed to me. Of uh, he he seemed to have like an encyclopedic knowledge of of uh, American culture. You know, this of course he wrote in the '30s and '40s mainly. Mm-hmm. But J.K. Uh, his parodies of 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 uh, plays and movies and things like that, and you get the feeling what the movie was. You know, right. Which is, you know, a Mad Magazine kind of thing that you can, you don't need to see the original because the parody is sort of more interesting. You know what I mean? Fair. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, 
So I think and that I think that had a lot to do with uh, the appeal of Jonathan Winters as well because he was he was into that like taking he had the, the whole thing of Robin Hood and all that kind of all, all that kind of thing where where your uh, your uh, uh, your observation on the thing is part of now the thing that's being observed if that makes any sense yeah you know? it absolutely does and yeah. uh, that's I I love that that's fascinating to me whenever. You know, you discover something through a different method that it's intended to be, you know, ingested. Um, do you remember getting this record in the mail for the first time, opening it up? Uh, well, not that specifically, because it was all of them, you know. So it was sure. like, I listened to this record, I listened to that record. And, uh, um, but yeah, but I, but I listened to it over and over again. It was uh, that one and uh, the, the um, I think, yeah, there was like eight records, I think, all together I got. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of them, like a Brothers Four record, and that was like not very good, so I didn't listen to that so very much. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, the Kingston Trio, uh, Jonathan Winters, and um, uh, uh, Marty Robin, they listened to a lot over and okay. over again. Yeah. Um, this record I had never noticed until just now. Um, <laughs> On the very back, uh, it does. There's a program. It tells you obviously all the tracks that are on it. Which, by the way, for a full-length album, there's only one, two, three, four, five, six, seven tracks on it. Uh, the final track is 13 minutes. Um, but it lists not only the cast, so the characters he plays, mm-hmm. but every sound effect that he does. Yes, <laughs> which is remarkable to me. It's like, don't forget, this guy is crazy, and he can do just about <laughs> anything with his mouth. It's, yeah, it's a very dense record, though. I mean, it's not. Yeah. I mean, it. it there's a lot going on. He's, yeah, he's got World War II. He's got Robin Hood. He's got being institutionalized, mm-hmm. you know, and then he has like little ad libs to the audience and, uh, you know, there's a lot going on. Yeah. And uh, he's, and he's also, it's also a, a glimpse into his, you know, personality. It's, it's weird. Years later, I was, happened to be in LA for, I forget what, for something. And uh, it just so happened I was in a, uh, uh, it was in a conference center or something like that. Anyway, but, but Jonathan Winters was there for some uh, comedy gathering. It was almost like, I can't remember what it was, like science fiction, you know, one of those kind of things, a, sure. a con of some sort. Uh-huh. And he was being interviewed, and I just happened to, you know, uh, overhear this interview. I was saying, oh, I'm going to position myself so I can hear him talk to this guy. Mm-hmm. So th- that was really great. For about uh, 20 minutes, he just gave this interview to uh, the guy from the uh, – I think from the San Francisco Chronicles, it turns out. Mm-hmm. But it was it was it was great because he's a very uh, he's a he's not like a wacky guy at all, you know. Right. So, <laughs> uh, and some one of the things he he uh, said to this interviewer, which I thought was funny, is like, "I'll be able to talk to you about being, you know, on all the time. Uh, you know, you're always being wacky and you know being on, you know, which he wasn't at the time." And he said, "Said, well, you know, would you rather I be off?" what what do you want from me yeah right (laughs) but i thought that was sort of interesting and you you could feel that in the record too that he was like uh he felt an obligation i guess to to make it uh you know as entertaining as he could which i guess you know makes sense given he's a entertainer (laughs) for sure but the the amount of obviously obviously a ton of pressure Something I didn't know before today, though, is that, again, and this could be apocryphal, I I, I need to look up the source of it, um, but have you heard the story that his career essentially started with a wristwatch? No, I didn't. Have you heard this? Okay, so, again, uh, anybody, if, if this is incorrect, I apologize, but, uh, you know, it seems to be sourced. Uh, it's from Wikipedia, so, you know, take what you will. Take it how you will. But uh, long story short, uh, he had lost his wristwatch, did not, he no longer had one, desperately needed one. This was in a time, of course, folks, in case you can't remember, when watches were needed to tell the time. And um, supposedly his wife saw an ad that there was a talent contest. The prize was a, a watch. He went down, won it, and got a watch, and uh, also became a DJ based off of that. And um. you can imagine how, if if that's your trajectory and you have no intent on necessarily being an, uh, an entertainer that um, it would overload you and that eight months into your uh, skyrocketing fame, you might need to settle down for some time in a, in a facility. Yes. Well, and also he's, he's, uh, he was a Marine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and every time I read stories about Marines, like they did not have an easy time of it. And, you know, of course not. And, no. Yeah. And they're all like, could you be about like, uh, uh, 
Who else am I thinking? Oh, Lee Marvin was a Marine. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and he was a total mess. Uh-huh. Um, I can't remember. Anyway, but, you know, I mean, I think that would have a lot to do with it as, as well. The uh, PTSD and all yeah. that sort of thing. PTSD combined with Jonathan Winter's uh, bipolar diagnosis yeah, is just exactly. like that's a recipe. You know, when treatment wasn't a thing, when it was still, you know, I think at this <clears throat> this is a point where people start talking about analysis in their comedy bits, but it's still kind of it's still kind of a joke, and it's still not something that's necessarily taken seriously. It's like, oh, this is some new quackery half the time. Um, so yeah, that's pretty fascinating that. Uh, yeah, he just openly talks about it on this comedy record. But again, does it in a way where the audience is like, oh, ha, 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 ha. Well, yeah, he doesn't talk about it. He, yeah, he does it in a, uh, a funny way. You yes, know? absolutely. He, he doesn't diminish it, but he also doesn't, you know, it's not like a, a Nichols and May therapy routine. <laughs> right. You know? right. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's like where one guy's the therapy and the other person's the, the uh, he doesn't go into that sort of thing at all. Mm-hmm. No, he just basically, he briefly mentions that he was, uh, he said that uh, he was insisting his name was John Q from Outer Space. That's uh, right. When he had his breakdown. <laughs> Left the mothership and they caught me. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's one quick bit on that where he just says something to the effect of, this is a Martian, I hope I speak your language, which I thought was, and yeah. this is a recording. I thought that was a pretty good bit. Yes. <laughs> Do you it's on- a good bit and, and, it, and it keeps, and it's, and it's still fresh because it's all like, uh, it's not tied to anything. It's all tied to uh, this this little stories he tells, you know. Yeah, rather most of these are about uh, subjects rather than um, any current events. So it wasn't really, other than, you know, hey, I was in World War II. Let me tell you a story <laughs> about it. Everything else yes, is pretty. Uh, first Lieutenant Matthews, yes. I, I, <laughs> I've met so many of, the, of that guy in, over the years, too. And he, 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 he sort of encapsulates certain types of personalities just in a, you know, a line, which is really amazing to me, too. Yeah, I mean, th- there's this element um, where he talks about growing up in the part of Ohio that he grew up in, where clearly, at least in his estimation, there were a ton of hillbillies. And oh, yeah. listening to him do which way is your machine faced? <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, it sounds like maybe you can relate to that. I know I certainly. Well, can, yeah, so. you know, I'm a, I'm a, I was a total hick. You know, I mean, I, you can't get more hicky than North Dakota, really. You know, <laughs> so uh, I related to all that stuff too. Yeah. Is there's this element of growing up if you grow up in in especially someplace super rural, uh, at least like I did. I think any time where somebody's putting together a complete sentence uh, to a group of seemingly sophisticated people <laughs> and getting laughs, you're like, that's the most metropolitan thing I've ever heard. I want to do that. Well, yeah, that, that that appealed to me as well. I mean, I think I could recognize a kindred spirit, you know, in this in this. You know, like uh, I'm a I'm a smart person among idiots. You know, not not that <laughs> desperate, but you know, I sure. Mean, I'm not like these other people. Yeah, you know, I I like to read books and you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> see things. Um, but yeah, there's all the stuff that you would see on television. I, I keep my big example. I always make give is uh, Perry Mason, which I we didn't mm-hmm. get. Yeah, but if we go visit like relatives, they would have like more stations than we did and i'd see like perry mason like wow what a world that is you know mm-hmm. like they're, they're driving cars in big cities and there's adultery and mm-hmm. all sorts of weird adult things going on that you know we don't have in north dakota <laughs> well, right right we did <laughs> <laughs> so you know so jonathan winters is like uh a guide to that world too the world of nightclubs and you know people who pay money you know to come see you talk yeah. You know, and I mean, that was weird to me, too. You know, he's from bordering on or perhaps the last generation to not have as much growing up, not have as much influx of uh, the concept even of that other world to the point where his observations are very clearly, you know, country mouse to city mouse. Like it yeah. becomes it's so stark that I think that's probably one of the reasons that he can make these strong observations and keep them funny. Well, also, he wasn't, you know, this is, you know, kind of a weird thing to say, but he wasn't Jewish, you know, because mm-hmm. a lot of comedy were like, like uh, smart ass Jewish guys from New York, you know, mm-hmm. or, or Bob Hope, you know, who was like sure. the, the epitome of that. Uh, I'm reading a book about vaudeville, you know, uh-huh. and uh, and it's they talk a lot about Bob Hope, who like was the guy that moved comedy away from um, uh, the baggy suit comic. Yeah. Instead, now you got this hip guy who, who gets laid and he drinks and, you know, <laughs> he knows what's going on mm-hmm. and he's telling jokes to you, you know, and that and that's it was sort of uh, 
a shift in where you could. And so Jonathan Winters, I think, is part of that, too, where it, it opened up this this world of people who could be comics that, uh, you know, that weren't before. I mean, you could be a goofy guy and now who did this at parties and now you can make a living doing that as well, you know? Right. I mean, it's it's interesting because, uh, you know, now that you point that out, like even even if you listen to, to Newhart's first album, there's this... I don't know, almost this milquetoast dorkiness, but at the same time, he he is he is kind of hip. He's a pretty hip guy, even if he is playing a nerd in a sketch, or even if he's uh, mumbling through his his stuff too. It is this weird combination that I can't quite figure out. Well, it's it's, it's like what uh, uh, Steve Martin did. If you had, you had read his, because I remember reading uh, Steve Martin's book. I thought mm-hmm. it was really interesting. Like, yeah, cool book. It was like how I did what I did. You know, yeah. Which is, and I read that at the same time I read, um, no, I'm sorry, you got a senior moment here, uh, George Carlin book. Yeah. And it's the contrast between these two people, which is really interesting, you know, to sort of get to the same place where Steve Martin is like this very cerebral guy. Yeah. Who lit on, well, goofiness is the way to go to, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh-huh. And, and Carlin is sort of like uh, the opposite, where he's like this goofy guy who started out like as a pretty much, you know, uh, run of the mill, not run of the mill. He was pretty good, but just a standard issue comic, you know, Yeah. but they, you know, button down, you know, making observational humor and that kind of stuff. And then became this, uh, LSD driven guy, you know? Right. And it was kind of interesting to see the contrast between these two people coming from the same tradition pretty much. Oh, for sure. Yeah. That's always fascinating to me. Carlin, especially having, he sort of had three, uh, roughly three periods of of his career, which is definitely yeah that straight laced dude in a suit to kind of becoming a hippie and being a hippie to then angry old man in black. That yes, is what exactly. holy shit. <laughs> he's a he's a fascinating dude who who definitely developed. Whereas you know somebody like Winters, he that guy to the end of his life seemingly was just no, I'm just going to be crazy. And I say crazy in a, in a fun way. I'm just going to be nutty and do just keep doing voices and bits. Seemingly, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he was doing it to the moment he died. Like he oh, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? I actually knew a guy, uh, I can't remember where I, but, but I, when I, I, went, I went to college in St. Cloud, Minnesota, mm-hmm. and he had a war buddy that lived there, and I guess he used to go fishing. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I thought that was, what a great thing for, to know about Jonathan Winters is he likes to, you know, go fishing you know yeah because <laughs> it used to read about i was also i'm a, I'm a fan of uh blues music and i was reading about um howlin wolf uh-huh who also used to like to take fishing trips you know yeah yeah let's come on let's 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 get off this tour let's let's go fishing you know <laughs> and so you know a really relaxing thing for kind of like a intense performer to do you know it's true, especially if again growing growing up uh, in a type of place you grew grew up or where I grew up, where um, there is this idea. Especially if you read more about them and see more about them, it's it's like this was their life. This was their life. Where you do not picture a blues man, you do not picture Jonathan Winters. You don't picture a lot of people taking a break to go fishing and just sitting there with a beer in a boat. I don't know. It's not a. It's not part of what you picture. Is that part of that? No. You forget that as a side of that huge metropolitan funny person or or blues singer is uh, somebody who just needs to get the fuck out for a few days and chill. Yo, yes. Oh, yes. Where'd you grow up, by the way? Uh, upstate New York. Oh, okay. So uh, border, bordering on a metropolitan area, but the, the the part I was in was just so, so tiny that literally the, the quote-unquote city that was five miles away felt like ages away. Right. It, it, was, uh, it was weird. It was very weird. So, I like, know. you know, records were my way out, even though I was listening to records that were, you know, created 30, 40 years before I was born. You know, <laughs> that's just how it went. Uh, I, I, uh, <laughs> I had not, or maybe I've called it out before, but I noticed again anyway, that on the, the bit about uh, the, the Western, uh, where he talks, at some point he does a baby voice and he says, Nini, Nanu, Nana, oh, yeah, which yeah, I'm like, uh-huh. holy shit. Okay. <laughs> I guess, I guess it's quite clear where Robin Williams got that bit. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, I, did you, okay, so that would be something I'd be interested in. Did you know, um, as a younger gentleman, uh, that Robin Williams was heavily influenced by, I don't know if you were a fan of Robin Williams, but, um, I'd be curious Uh, to know what you thought of him. Not as much as I was, he made, he always made me nervous. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He was like, he sweated too much. Jonathan Winters, like, (laughs) 
You know what I mean? Like he was always like working too hard. I thought, you know. But I mean, I, I'm not to say he wasn't funny. No, of course, but but he's, but he's just exhausting. You know, Whereas yeah, cocaine will do got that. Ex- exhausted by Jonathan Winters. Lots and lots of cocaine will do that. I mean, it, yeah. that is clearly Eddie. He admitted it. He fully admitted it. Uh, I we were uh, not to repeat a thing I keep talking about, but it's very funny. Somebody picked um, the Comic Relief 1986 album, a quote unquote best of. Boy, oh boy, that is a rough watch. That is. Uh, <laughs> You want to talk about people scrant like, and again, this is supposed to be their A material. I, we talked about the funniest thing that was on there was Carl Reiner and Sid Caesar, and they were doing a twenty-year-old bit. Right. Yeah. Pretty funny. Um, do you have a favorite uh, piece on this whole album? Is this some, is this an album also that you had memorized at some point? It sounds like you must have. Well, I, there's bits of it I, I still remember. Like, uh, yeah, like mm. First Lieutenant Matthews. You know, I'd like to go with you, men, but they need me here. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, there's lines that come up if, as appropriate, you know. I mean, but uh, oh, also yeah, and also there's one line, yeah. Robin, Robin, Princess Mary Louise, Louise is over in the castle, which always cracks me up, and I have, I have no idea why. <laughs> I love when there's those lines little... that you know pop into my head from time to time. But you when know. he'll do a little gentle voice though, as like a uh, sort of like a, a, a just as a contrast to the normal manic energy that he's got, where he's well, burning yeah, through the, these ideas, you know. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Like Eddie Izzard understands that too. Oh, he was like another God. guy who uh, uh, seemingly manic, but it's all pretty controlled, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, but yeah, you, you understand that you know, if you go ah, da, 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 and then you go. Ah, da, 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 it makes a big difference, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it, you don't get so exhausted, <laughs> right? Whereas, whereas Jonathan Winters, I mean uh, Robin Williams, never he never uh, uh, dialed it down, you know. Right, right. <laughs> I'm gonna need to re-listen to some. It's been a while since I've listened to Robin Williams like with intent. I now need to maybe dig through a few more Jonathan Winters just to hear. I'm because also supposedly he was a uh, Robin Williams was a big fan of. Um, Oh wait, am I no Dick Sean? Also Dick Sean, but I oh I yeah yeah. There's you can hear that. There's in there a guy too. I used to love too, yeah, but uh, he was also um, uh, he would push you hard. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's he's the best thing about Mad 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 World. I think. Oh my god, that oh. that whole character. Yeah, I'm coming, Mama. Because <laughs> that's a oh, Jesus Christ, what a horrible movie. <laughs> in my opinion, <laughs> it's one of those people love that, it, but I just God I Almighty. think a lot of people love it because of nostalgia, and it's got a lot of very famous yeah. people in it. You know, um, but they're, it's just not funny. They're just all they do is like, yeah. <laughs> Except for Dick Sean, who's hilarious. But, Good God! And yeah, and Jonathan Winters is he doesn't? They're yeah. not letting him be Jonathan Winters in it. They're all just like, mm-hmm. you gotta get it. Oh, I want this. It's all just one note and horrible. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of the Robin Hood bit, there's a very dumb joke that really gets me because I'm a child at heart, which is where he makes a like that, and then he says a group of horny men running through the forest, and he just oh, yeah. says it so quickly, and it's a toss off, and he gauges the audience because they're like, it's I don't remember if that's the groaner. There's one definitely or not groaner where the audience is like, we don't know if we're comfortable with this joke. There's one I can't, and I should have written it down, but there's definitely one where they're like, oh whoa, can you make that joke? Where it felt. <laughs> Weirdly uncomfortable, I but I was proud of him. <laughs> I was just like, good for you, Jonathan Winters. I like that you're pushing your material out there. Uh, I, I, I like the energy of this album a lot. It is really hard. You cannot um, inactively listen to this. You have to sit down and listen to it. I, I, I almost tried to do something else while listening. Dumb idea. Dumb idea. Yeah, it's it's very engaging, and I've read, I've listened to other records by him, and it doesn't really quite have the energy this one does. I don't know why, but yeah, uh, it's interesting. Well, because well, the Mod Frickert stuff, which is like, mm-hmm. sort of, okay, all right, you know, that's that's a joke. Sure, <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one of those bids where, like, it's always interesting when somebody finds a character that people love, which I'm assuming, yeah. I'm guessing people loved it from Steve Allen, because I'm, I'm, I know he was, like, Steve Allen's, like, favorite. But, um, yeah. Where it becomes like maybe this is my my meal ticket. Where it's like, no, your meal ticket should probably just be you being Jonathan Winters all over the place. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I, I know that because I, I had Ian Scholes, which is sort of like a mm-hmm. became a thing that kind of took over my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and also we had uh, Doctor Science too, and uh, of Dexter, course, which had had a. Uh, but you know, those are a little bit different because they didn't really, you know, you could didn't have to do that, you know. But 
there weren't people going, come on, do Ian Scholes, you know. <laughs> but if you find a thing that works and like, I, I get it. Like it's, it's not necessarily falling into a groove, but it is fa- finding a, you know, finding a fictional voice can be just as powerful as like a, when a stand-up oh, finds yeah. their natural voice. You well, know? I keep thinking of uh, Ernest, you know, Ernest P. Worrell. Of or, course, yeah. Yeah. Well, I have to admit, I really think he's funny. I I, I, I used too. to watch his his movies with my with my daughter, and I thought they were great. You know, yeah. I you know, it's like, <laughs> which I guess it's the hick in me too again. It's, <laughs> it's real hillbilly humor yeah. there. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, and hey, that's another career that also got started in a weird way. We hear he was doing ads for local yeah, ice cream. Yeah, yeah. That was and, yeah. He was the Ernest P. Like you know, getting people to buy uh, used cars and stuff. You know, but uh, that. Bless his heart, you know. Mm-hmm. Which is why it always blew me away when he would do a part that was not at all that. When he would not. Oh do yeah, a he would always character. he would always go on like Merv Griffin and do like a Shakespeare soliloquy <laughs> or something. It was, it was hilarious. <laughs> it's so good. It's you know a surprise like that is uh, is more than welcome, especially since he, oh, yeah. you know, he's making his career in a time where no, you stick with your character and you'll make your money. Where he just, <laughs> like, they seem to not want to do that, which I appreciate. I respect that. Well, it's kind of a link back to vaudeville too, where they, you'd For have sure. these, you know, these guys that go around. They just did one thing. They'd have like a ten-minute sh- slot, you know, mm-hmm. and they just do like, uh, you know, like the that character, or you know, Buster Keaton being thrown around by his dad, you know, right, right. <laughs> Until he said, "Look, I'm 22 years old, Dad. I can't do this anymore." You know, <laughs> I gotta go stand in front of a train, Dad. Yeah, exactly. Can I, please. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's the thing about vaudeville, and you know, and I know there are exceptions, but yeah, it was also a time when, yeah, no, my ten minute bit is my same ten minute bit for two decades. You know, you don't yes, do, exactly, and that blows my mind and hurts my brain and makes me feel like I would want to blow my brains out. I don't know, but maybe I would have loved it. Who who knows? Well, some did, and you know, some did. I'm, I'm just reading a book, a history of vaudeville. It's really interesting by uh, Trav S D. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, this is not his real name, of course. Of course. It's, it's, it's pretty entertaining and, and informative. It's kind of interesting. I'm going to have to check that one out. That sounds Yes, it's good. It's, it goes from, uh, you know, burlesque and, into vaudeville and then how radio and, and uh, the movies kind of destroyed it all. Right, right. <laughs> That's fascinating. I, uh, I kind of want to know a little bit. Okay, so you go from North Dakota straight to Brainerd. Is that correct? <laughs> yes. then, As made and, famous in uh, Fargo. Yes, of the course. Movie Fargo, yes. Of course. Which is more about Brainerd than it was Fargo, really. It's true, right? That's that's where mm-hmm. most of it takes place. Um, so uh, I, I want to know what your comedy development was from a comedy fan as a kid who's memorizing bits off of Jonathan Winter's record to making your own, because everybody's journey is a, a little different. Well, it's weird, because I, I didn't think I'd be going into comedy at all. I mean, sure. I, I'd like to write humorous things, you know, and I would write things that would sort of like uh, trying to be like James Thurber or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. but I didn't think I was, because I, I wanted to be a serious writer, sort of what I wanted to be. Okay. Uh, then I went to the writer's workshop in Iowa, uh, the fiction uh, fiction workshop, and I really didn't like it at all. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Uh, you know, I said, geez, I don't this mental deal. So I went into, I switched over to the, well, I, just kept, I, I stayed there and I got my degree, but I also started going to the, uh, the playwrights workshop. So I wound up getting two master's degrees in writing. Uh, but anyway, well, I was doing the playwrights workshop, which appealed to me a lot more because I would I met this guy uh, Dan Coffey, who wound up becoming a partner in Duck's Breath, and we mm-hmm. started just doing, you know, let's just do plays. You know, we just would write plays and do them in the you'd write plays and do them in the student union, or find a bar, you know. And then we we met uh, Jim Turner, another guy in the Ducks, who was Randy of the Redwoods, and Mm-hmm. You know, he's a working class, he's a working actor in L.A., you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Jim and Leon, who were, I mean, uh, uh, Bill and Leon were both in the directing program there. Okay. And uh, the four of us, Jim was still an undergraduate, and uh, we decided, well, what are we going to do? We don't have any prospects. So we were doing these some of these shows, and we just decided to uh, just keep doing it. So the idea was, like, it's not so much as the comedy as uh, a way to make uh, a theater on its feet, you know, okay, uh, and do to do our own stuff and just make a living, uh, like passing the hat, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was that was the impulse of it. Just make wow. make our own uh, opportunity, 
and then comedy of course seemed like the best way to go because uh you were going to be doing this in bars sure <laughs> sure of course uh so the, the impulse is more the performative creation thing than the uh comedy thing but the comedy came about just because that's how you you know you make stuff and i realized that you know like uh uh that's you know that's that's this that's the, that's the writing I, I like the most anyway. It's when sure. it's funny rather than, you know, trying to make me cry. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> is there, so I mean, obviously everybody's influences are varied. Uh, so it sounds like Jonathan Winters, though, is one that just is kind of buried in the back of your mind as a, just, just it, it becomes a part of you, I would assume, not a direct influence. Well, I, I would say he was pretty direct. I would say okay. uh, I have a... Um, <clears throat> S.J. Perelman, that guy uh, I mentioned before, was mm-hmm. a huge influence, and Jonathan Winters, and uh, Mad Magazine. I mean, uh, and also, um, uh, uh, who was I'm, I'm trying to just make? Oh, yeah, and also the the James Thurber, all these like New Yorker writers, all these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they were all. It's all sort of like that's that's what I think made my my, my humor. It's all of a melange of all this kind of stuff, you know. But I wasn't really. Uh, I never really liked stand-up that much. Fireside Theater, too. A huge fan of theirs. Uh-huh. Um, Monty, Monty Python, not so much. I think I came to them a little too late. Okay. Uh, that's fair. I but, mean, that's, uh, you got to catch them in your teens, to be fair, I think. Yeah, for, yeah. I was know? like, we were actually just started doing uh, Duck's Breath, and people kept comparing us to Monty Python. So, no, you know. That's because they didn't I'd heard have a couple any other cuts. comparison, I bet. I, yeah, I'd heard a couple <laughs> cuts of their stuff, but this is just before they started appearing in the in the in America, you know. Mm-hmm. So we weren't even that familiar with them. They were just then starting to be on uh, on uh, public television. Sure, yeah. And I'd heard a couple of their because a friend of mine is a huge, you know, Anglophile, so we had a couple of their uh, British records. Yeah, yeah. And that was the third the only thing I'd heard, and I was, you know, oh, that's all right. That's you know. There are no uh, beyond the fringe. Beyond the fringe is another big influence. Too. Oh sure, yeah. Um, so yeah, for listening, I never, but I was never listening to comedy to to. I listened to it just because I like to listen to comedy. If it wasn't, I wasn't so much listening to it to. Uh, How do they do that? I want to do it that way, you know. Right. Because when I listen for looking for uh, sources for humor, I look to you know idiot things people say you know mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and then make fun of that you know yeah i mean that's that is to be fair that's jonathan winter style he just had a different yeah. delivery than most it is weirdly his stuff is weirdly observational it just becomes these stories that again sketches there's not some i was talking to somebody the other day and we were talking about yeah but are the can it be there be a one-man sketch and i honest to god jonathan winters is the argument for well that. yeah yeah he, he was he would yeah he would make the uh these this little world of uh <clears throat> uh yeah the robin hood the thing is that, you know because it's he just creates this and it seems like as a parody but it's actually it's like this weird adventure robin hood adventure that you know that is in his own mind it's not really a parody it's like Robin Hood is imagined by Jonathan Winters, you know. Right, right. Which is also a big a thing that appealed to me as as a writer too, where you can take these. Uh, you don't have to be, you know. If you write a story about Sherlock Holmes, for example, you know, which you can, and everyone did. You don't have to be married to the. You know the way they the way traditional way you look at Sherlock Holmes. You can, sure. you can put him in a Superman outfit or you know whatever right. you know. Right, right. It it frees you up a little bit to to, to uh, when you're trying to do uh, genre kind of things to yeah. um, not have to think about it the way you know uh, people expect you to think about it. Sure, you know I find interesting. Um, you know it's probably stupid of me to expect uh, different, but uh, when I interviewed when I spoke with Jim Turner, uh, God, a year and a half, two years ago. Yeah. Um, first of all, one of my favorite episodes, just because the man's energy is. Uh, oh, he's great. Holy he's, he's, shit. He's one of the few people I've met. You know, well, of course I worked with him too, but he's sure. he's, a, he's a comic genius. I mean, like yeah. he's really underappreciated. When he gets going, I mean, honest to God, he did this thing. I was my stomach was hurting. I was laughing so hard, and <laughs> one of his solo shows. Uh, and it's just out of and he, again, it, you know, his humor comes out of like a. 
this weird pure place of like what the hell is that <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? yeah uh, it's, it's beautiful I, I i love that thing. I, I love <laughs> when i get somebody in who when he when i asked him i was like you know because you never know what anybody's influences are i was like hey did you listen to fire sign because people do all often try and he he didn't he he like no. me was a person who didn't listen to fire sign growing up it takes me a bit to get going on fire sign because it's not it's it's a you have to listen so actively same as jonathan winters um, so I was, uh, you know, I guess I shouldn't be surprised that two people in the same, uh, you know, who've been in the same group have different influences. I, I want to know though, did you discover fire sign in college? Like everybody else? Like what's your experience? Oh, yeah. uh-huh. That's yeah. That's where, that's where I uh, discovered them. And, yeah. I, and I loved them. You know, uh, another thing about them too, is like, uh, they, they were hugely influenced by the goon show. Yes. Which I tried to listen to. I, I just, I, I don't like it. I, <laughs> sure. I really kind of hated it. But I, I like I like Spike Milligan too. I've heard other things, but mm-hmm. but Goon Show is like, oh man, I don't know what that is, but I, <laughs> I can't understand what they're doing. Right. Um, but anyway, yeah, you know, it's neither here nor there, I guess. But you know, but uh, and also, Dan Coffey and I the, from the Ducks were both into uh, radio. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, of course, I'd be interested in in Firesign Theater for, for that very reason because I used to love. You know, because my, my parents, I guess, you know, like Jack Benny, um, you know, and, the, and because they found out like uh, uh, and uh, yeah, just like this, that whole that whole uh, that whole period of, of uh, radio really appeals to me, mm-hmm. like radio dramas and radio theater and radio dramas are they're almost a parody before you even parody them, you know. Right. <laughs> so, so I got into Dan Coffee and I we were the ones that sort of like were instrumental, I think, in pushing duck's breath into going more into radio too because we both interesting like doing it and dan coffee of course he's you know he's got that radio voice you know which is mm-hmm. oozes insincerity it's kind of amazing <laughs> there's there's not a lot of uh well i won't say there's not a lot but i don't think there's a lot of um sketch groups or comedy groups uh to where the the link is is obvious because again i mean hell you've got theater spelled the same way fire sign does too which is i think yeah. great i think that's great um but there's just i don't know it's 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 an uh, to me feels like an obvious link despite you know not everybody in the group being a fire sign uh fan but it's also in a way where it is there's nothing about duck's breath to me uh, I was telling Jim the same thing. It's like it's a more approachable version. I can track everything that's happening on your records and find it all funny. Whereas it takes me a bit with Firesign. I love Firesign, but it is um, again a different type of mental investment. Where this is just like blows over me. I'm like, oh shit, I love it. And it's it's so different. But well, they had more of a literary approach to their their things. I mm-hmm. think than we did. I mean, they like to have like the. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think. Oh, the uh, they like jokes based on the radio itself. Like you know, they had that I forget what it is. Like the uh, the talking signs in uh, I think their first record, mm-hmm. or the highway signs, and they're going by, and as they're going, they have that Doppler effect of the signs talking as they're going. Mm-hmm. And it's like and which it's just which is a not even a joke really. It's right. just sort of like a a weird thing, which you can tell like they were like. You know, drug addled and <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. so there's a lot more druggy and uh, um, you know, like there's a lot of like wordplay and puns and that sort of thing. Oh, absolutely. Where you have to you know think for a second to get the to get the joke, which is you know why they reward repeated listening. You know, for sure. Uh, you know, I yeah, but the our humor is much more, you know, uh, vaudeville, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you will, than. Uh, than theirs was or actually closer to burlesque even than and they're more vaudeville that's that's fair is is your was your first record self-released self-produced all that stuff oh or? yeah and well i wasn't know was we did and god i can't remember anymore i thought we had a record deal with uh, uh who's the one that do all the the re-releases now uh rhino uh, yeah i think it was a rhino uh-huh or maybe it was the second one i can't remember Okay. Neither one of them did anything, so you know. I was just... <laughs> <laughs> but, but I don't think comedy records do much anyway, unless they're you know the first family or or something like that. Yeah, you know, exactly. Come out of come out of nowhere and go nowhere. I am coincidentally speaking with one of the few people still around who was on that record, and she has like a line on it today. Who's that? 
Uh, her name at the time was Sarah Dolly, and um, oh. and she's like, I'm not even sure what part I am on it. And I had to listen. And I'm like, I think you're Ethel Kennedy. So I, that's, but she's got <laughs> one line, and I'm like, screw it, I don't care if you've only got one line. I love that record. I'm fascinated with its weird trajectory. Let's talk about it. You know, well, yes, it's so weird. And poor Von Meter, you know. Like... Oh God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although uh, I interviewed his widow, and uh, you might more think, oh, poor his widow. <laughs> oh yeah, he's. It seemed Ooh, like this boy. guy was he created all his own problems really but... uh-huh a little bit a little bit at least eventually <laughs> um, if, you're, if you're if your career is based on a, an impersonation of john f kennedy you know this <laughs> it had a limited life to, yeah, no exactly. matter what like how far yeah. was that gonna go um maybe a second term you know uh but like my george bush impression you know i just <laughs> no, nobody cares anymore you know <laughs> my reagan is doing gangbusters still couldn't <laughs> right. tell you why um <laughs> So I would like you to tell me, take the wonderful world of Jonathan Winters and tell people, let's say they don't even know who he is, which sadly is likely, um, why give this album a listen as a, as a first listen to get into Jonathan Winters? Uh, it'd be hard to say. I guess it, if, you'd have to, if you know who he is, then, you know, you should listen to it because it's, you know, a, a quintessential Mm-hmm. Jonathan Winters. It's sort of like the essence of him right there on that record, I would say. Mm-hmm. And uh, either he, you think he's funny or, or you don't, you know? And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and hey, there's no, there's no, uh, you know, character he's trying to do to suck you in. It, it is very pure him and all his ideas. Well, I'll say it's educational mm-hmm. in that, you know, I think that uh, um, what you can do uh, with, with humor and with one voice, you know, for sure. Uh, yeah. If if you're like a, a person who wants to be an actor or wants to, you know, uh, be in comedy or just wants to, you know, uh, expand your horizons as to what humor is, yeah. what comedy is. I mean, it's it's like the guy was a pioneer. You know, he was uh, he he paved the way. He was the first to do this kind of thing. I think. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there are like wacky guys and vaudeville sure? and burlesque and stuff, but he he was really. Uh, uh, yeah, he was. The, I think he was the first. He he paved the way for, uh, well, for John, for nobody else dared to do what he did, except maybe in England. I guess you'd have like, uh, you know, wacky wacky bits, you know. Sure. But, but, but he was he was the, the first and and maybe the only guy who did this kind of stuff. Well, I guess Richard Pryor, you know, would mm-hmm. be another example. Oh man, very similar actually when you think about yeah. it to to Jonathan Winters. You know, he his stuff is personal. Yes. But not, you know, therapeutic, if you know what I mean. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I'm now wondering, now that I'm looking at, the, again, the list of sound effects, which includes spaceship, dice rolling, radiation guns, yes. scurrying groundhog. But there's also <clears throat> one that is simple that maybe we take for granted now, which is football cheer, which did did, oh, yes. did, did the was... man originate the whole idea of going <sighs> into I think a mic? so. I think that was him. It was, yeah, that was like, I was, I was very impressed with that. And also the little, uh, the little, they used to do People tiptoeing. It's so good. And it, it, it had, you know, you don't think, oh, somebody must have originated that. But I guess, it's, and, you know, I will, if, if there's anybody out there who knows of somebody before this, great. But I mean, it's, it's specifically called out on the back of the record as a, as a novelty part of it, you know? It's interesting. Um, and also the uh, arrows who used to do the, he did the arrows. Yes. They're so, so good. That And even like uh, later on when there's a, I don't remember if it's supposed to be a grenade or something else, but just that that whistle, slight pause, mm-hmm. and then a poof, It's beautiful. It is a beautiful bit of, of of sound effect work with his damn mouth. Like, it's insane <laughs> to me. <laughs> um, Merle, I appreciate you doing this, this show. Sure. Um, I would be happy to have you back uh, if you'd be up for it. Uh, no pressure. Uh, why don't you tell, this is going to come out in quite some time, so I apologize. It's going to be That's a few weeks. Quite all right. Tell people where they can find you, your stuff, um, if there's anything yeah, coming there's up. Nothing coming up right now. I'm kind of <laughs> retired. I'm actually working on a long story about flying saucers. Ooh, wonderful. So sort of, uh, would be kind of funny, but not so much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, well, yeah, it would be actually will be funny. It's kind of like a history of uh, flying saucers. Love it. Um, and uh, I'm also working on a thing with Jim. Mm hmm. We're soon up launching a website soon. I hope he has this character called Sterling Delzell, uh-huh. who's like a, a 
uh, a kooky right wing guy. He's got many uh-huh. conspiracy theories about reptoids and that sort of thing. <laughs> so basically, the, it's the uh, these are excerpts from his long running talk show that nobody's oh my heard. God. Oh and, my uh, God. So I'm trying to get a website. But basically, it's like the best of Stunning Delzell, and that's sort of like the. Uh, and but but, but Jim so is much. very busy right now. He's he's uh, trying to help uh, prevent Trump from being reelected. Fair, fair. <laughs> uh, thank you, Jim. Then, oh, my God. <laughs> so so uh, once he once he once he just does that, we'll uh-huh. get back to this uh, you know, <laughs> this other project. I, I realized the other day I felt like a dummy. I was, uh, we were talking about uh, Will Rogers on the show. The episode hasn't come out yet. Another and, guy that Vaudeville made his whole style oh, absolutely. came out of that, you know. And they had, uh, the guest had brought up something that I guess I had forgotten, which was he had a fairly famous fake run for the presidency, including That's right. uh, yeah. his, his vice presidents were the Marx brothers at one point. That mm-hmm. might have been his second campaign. But, uh, and I'm fascinated with fake presidential campaigns. And then somebody put it Fields, too. Oh, that's thank you. There we go. There's yeah. another one. Also, um, uh, Gracie Allen. But mm-hmm. then Jim Turner. I mean, come on. Oh, Randy that's the right. Redwoods. Randy, yeah. So I'm like, holy shit, I can't not include Randy of the Redwoods in there. So, <laughs> you know, there's there there are more than people realize. And it's a weird subculture. And it's all meant to just shit on an entire system. And I love it. I'm fascinated with that. Uh, you know, of course, Pat Paulson, you know, he, he's the king. Oh, of God, that. I love Pat Paulson so much. He, oof. he was very funny. Oh boy, I'm still waiting to interview his son on the show. I'm hoping at some point that happens. Um, and maybe he'll send me some of their wine. Why would you not? How would I not want Paulson wine? I mean, come on now. Uh, Merle, thank you again for doing the show. Sure, and my pleasure. It was great. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And as always, have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. You can email us at podcast at comedyonvinyl.com. You can also send snail mail to Stolen Dress Entertainment, P.O. Box 805, Burbank, California, 91503. Subscribe to Comedy on Vinyl on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you can find podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and write us a review. It helps. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Comedy on Vinyl, or find everything in one place at ComedyOnVinyl.com. A major portion of Comedy on Vinyl has been underwritten by Stand Up Records. Please visit StandUpRecords.com for all your comedy needs and tune in to the new Stand Up Records channel available on the Roku, where you can also find select episodes of this podcast. Visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, watch videos, and imbibe freely of our multimedia content going back 15-plus years. Dress Entertainment. Hey, it's my turn. Ah! <laughs> <laughs>